Canadian Football Perspective is proudly presented by our good friends over at Fox 40, introducing the new generation of electronic whistles brought to you by Fox 40. The new rechargeable Fox 40 electronic whistle produces 120 decibels of software-defined sound power with the push of a single button. You can pre-order yours today at fox40shop.com. That's fox40shop.com. And don't forget, they've given you a great offer here through Canadian Football Perspective. You can take 15% off your entire order with the code CFP15. Again, fox40shop.com. Use the promo code CFP15. Everybody to the breakdown, Marshall Ferguson, Derek Taylor for you here. It's the best part of my week. Uh, after I get through with uh, with doing a Sports Center piece and a couple CFL.ca articles and tracking all the games of the week, all that stuff is done. I just get to sit here with DT and hang out for a half hour. Uh, we hope that you enjoy yes. as much as we do of being able to get together at DT on OB is where you can find him on social. I'm at TSN underscore Marsh uh, West Final tickets going on sale <laughs> in 24 hours as we're recording this on Thursday afternoon DT uh that was a bit of a coronation against Edmonton last week it, it was the result it should have been right like yeah. as much as the bombers in advance go every team's good everybody's a threat you know well you guys scored in the first four drives and if I think maybe Greg McCray runs the wrong route on the fifth drive uh you probably would have five straight touchdown drives just just absolutely loved them and Edmonton has its little signs of, oh, this Dylan Mitchell. Okay, I like this. But uh, it, it was a 13-win team against a four-win team, and that's how the score played out. I love that in the week that we here on The Breakdown had the discussion of, like, what are we to do with Taylor Cornelius as currently constituted? He has 11 completions. <laughs> like, that Was that not picture perfect where yeah. we were trying to figure it out? And it was like, this is what Edmonton is committed to. And yes, the Bombers' defense is very good and very talented, but... It's. I thought it was amazing, you know, not to just dump all over Cornelius, but I love, and I, I wrote this in, on CFL.ca this week in, in the Target article I do each week there, that I love quarterback analysis for a lot of reasons. And one of the biggest reasons is just that sometimes the box scores, just they're not fair to a guy who won or they're not fair to a guy who lost. Sometimes yep. they're, they perfectly articulate. You know, sometimes you get Kalaros going like 17 of 19 for four touchdowns and you're like, Sure. Okay. Yeah. Just dominant and efficient and whatever. 
the fact that Dane Evans beat Saskatchewan with 11 completions and Cornelius got blown out before he could even turn the key in the ignition with 11 completions, I was like, football is beautiful, man. Like the numbers of football sometimes just line up in these ways where you're like, how is this the same sport where one gets to go home like fist pumping and having a beer with the offensive line and the other is putting his head down and going back to work the next morning? <laughs> it is crazy, right? Kalaris won a game this year with seven completions against Edmonton which was the first time since Chris Strebler back in 2018, 2019, whatever it was. And he went, those are not the same quarterback. They played for the same team. <laughs> they were playing against the same team. They are not the same quarterback, but they got it done with the same results. Uh, do, do you think, when do we get to the point where people come around to where you and I kind of are on Cornelius? I'm, I'm, I believe one of the biggest Cornelius detractors, but will the public join us or will they still be wowed by his arm is still great. He can still scramble like a son of a gun. But well, uh, so this is this, this is my whole thinking on uh, like big picture issues that I think more and more we are in, entrenched as a society, whether it's political, moral, sports, uh, finance. Like, what if you give somebody a topic? It's very, very rare anymore that somebody will dig their heels in, feel strongly about something. And then over time, open their mind to, oh, I, I could see the other side. You know what? Let's let's have a nuanced discussion about this. So if you don't like Cornelius at this point, I think you're not going to like him ever. Like even if he really starts to crank it up, I just I don't think you're going to like him. If <laughs> if you liked him at the beginning, I think you're going to defend him no matter what, because that's the way that a lot of people seem to be operating around him is that they've just decided very quickly on what he is. And I don't think that there's a whole lot of room for, well, I'm willing to hear the other side on this discussion. So um, that's, that's concerning to me. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, that's also a little bit concerning to me because that might've been what happened at Edmonton's front office. Cause I had talked to people in Edmonton in the off season leading up to this year, even with Trey Ford getting drafted and uh, you know, Arbuckle being there and Kyle Oxley and then the Ohio state quarterbacks and then Beaudry. And I had talked to people who said, we really like Cornelius and it's like, well, have you seen enough from him this year to really like him in order to sign him to an extension? Apparently they did uh, because otherwise they would not have done it. And it's like, well, were they entrenched in that opinion and trying to prove themselves correct for having him be the starter? And I, I don't know. I, I just don't think yeah. that there's going to be a lot of movement on that in, in whether it's in the building, out of the building at Commonwealth in the stands sitting on the East coast watching as a casual fan who might not have any connection to Edmonton or Elks football. Like that's the way that people seem to be right now. 43% of his passes in that game against the bombers were uncatchable, not inaccurate, uncatchable, not catchable. He wasn't under pressure an overwhelming amount. It was like 37%, which is high granted, but it's not super overwhelming. It's a guy who has a lot of things, but uh, oh boy, who's who's a you made me think while you were talking there. Who's the guy you totally did change your tune on though during the course of his career? <laughs> and don't don't say Jonathan Jennings because that was that was the one for me. Well, the the funny one that's interesting that it was Jennings for you because I when I was doing BC Toronto on TSN last week, I actually pulled a stat that the last time that BC had hosted a home playoff game, it was Jonathan Jennings beating the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, because that was back in 2018, uh, or no, 2016, I think, that they held a, a home playoff game. I think it was for the Lions off the top of my head. But um, you know what's funny? For me, the guy that I came around the most on, and, and it's not CFL, but it's Josh Allen. And I'm a Bills fan. 
Yep. When the Bills draft and I like when we drafted Josh Allen, I was like, cool, we went for the monster human being with the rocket arm, not dissimilar from the conversation around Cornelius, who actually can't hit anybody in stride and is not athletic enough to run. Sure enough, in his rookie year, he's hurtling people and he's dropping dimes all over the field now as he's a couple of years in. And I'm like, wow, I was really wrong. Like I obviously did not understand this guy well enough. Um, I will say, I'm trying to think of somebody in the CFL that really turned for me. You know what? Honestly, Kalaros. I thought, like, oh, okay. and, and I think the biggest reason for that was that I saw just how broken he looked at the end in Hamilton. And I had people in Saskatchewan asking me, like, do you think he has much left in the tank? And I'm like, I have some pretty serious doubts. And now you look at it and you're like, the hell? <laughs> like, how, how did I think? Yeah. I think he was just like washed. Uh, and, and it was just, for me, it was the injury concerns that were worse than anything else. But it was also the body language. And, and, and to his credit, he recreated himself in order to accomplish what he has in Winnipeg. Uh, he went in the lab, his lower body, his mechanics, like all these things that he's clear, clearly worked on. But yeah, he's the one for me where I had kind of written him off as I think a lot of people in the end at Hamilton had. And man, was I ever wrong on that. And now I just spend every week enjoying the spectacle that is his decision-making and accuracy and ball placement and all that fun stuff. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why, but he's a guy I never kind of gave up on. And maybe it's maybe it's because in the first year I charted CFL was 2015. And of course, he was a miracle worker. Yes. That year. And I, I thought I identified what the problems were in Hamilton and then Saskatchewan. Well, Chris Jones doesn't care about the offense. So when he went to Winnipeg, I was calling, I was in Regina on the radio going, I know they're a couple of games back, but I'm officially terrified of the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers <laughs> now. And it, and it worked out that way. Uh, I remember picking Jonathan Jennings to be the MLP of the league and throw for over 5,000 yards in, I guess it was 2016. I was big. I held on for a long, long time on James Franklin. Yep. And it's just after, because he does such a great job in those fill instants in Edmonton, right? Everything was fantastic. But it just, uh, he got to Toronto, I think, with a coach that didn't really want him. And I remember asking him, and he said, yeah, I don't think Mark Trestman really wanted me. Yeah, that's kind of what it felt like of, I can't believe you think he would challenge Ricky Ray. <laughs> oh, my God. I know they, they just traded the world for him, and he's looked awesome, but that's offensive. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's I, I would love to see I would love to see a Taylor Cornelius Josh Allen revival. Right. But Allen is such a unique character in football in you were grossly inaccurate and turnover prone and sort of awful for two years. And then in that third year, the, he was still a little loose with the football, but the accuracy just became on point and he still had those laser rocket throws and he could still run dudes over. I don't know of a pivot like that in the, in the in the NFL in all of football period. So I hope nobody, I hope nobody in the offseason goes. Ah, we're hoping for a Josh Allen type revival from Taylor Cornelius because that does not happen. Yeah, and the reason that I want to frame this correctly is like the reason that it's so unlikely for Cornelius, as you say, is because that's not normal. And I remember hearing Mike Leach, which as much as he's a total quack, he's also entertaining and he knows quarterback play. I remember hearing Mike Leach being asked, and this is classic Mike Leach, I think it was at like a high school field. Like he was like scouting some kid and some local reporter threw a mic in his face and was like, what is your opinion on accuracy? And this quote stuck with me forever. He said, well, you know, typical Mike Leach tone. Oh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, everybody thinks they're smarter than the next one. So the college coach sees the inaccurate kid in high school 
and he thinks, well, I can fix them. And so he takes them on and then he can't fix them because he can't be more accurate because the quarterback's just inaccurate and his mechanics are bad and they're ingrained by the time you get to college. And then he's inaccurate in college and then the pros look at him and they say, well, I could fix them. And so they draft him high and they think that they can fix him. And he basically just said, it's the ego of the coaching profession mm-hmm. that, that causes people to believe, well, he, he can be fixed. He just doesn't have the right people. And so in Buffalo, it's very obvious that Josh Allen had the right people like working around him to try and refine and fix. And in the off seasons, he was training with the right people and he had the right mentality. Does Taylor Cornelius have the right people around him? Does he have the right mentality in the off season? These are things I don't have the answer to, but if there's any chance that he's going to improve on that stuff, that's going to have to be what it is because that's how you fix it. And that's why it's so unlikely. Yeah. I just wanted to pull up uh, depth adjusted accuracy ratings this season. Oddly enough, Matthew Schultz, number one overall. I don't know how that's happening, but Matthew Schultz, number one overall. Let me just say, I love love when that happens to guys like you and I in the CFL, where we we try to be right as much as possible because we want to be able to give people like data proven answers. And I love sometimes when stats just go, shut up, idiot. And they just, and they, they and we're both sitting there being like, well, you know what? Okay. All right. That's what it says. Yeah. <laughs> but t- tell me and, and folks listening, tell me if this sounds right. Uh, the top quarterbacks in, in depth adjusted accuracy. So adjusting for the depth and width of each pass. Uh, Nathan Rourke, number one, yeah. uh, with a bullet. Uh, Nick Arbuckle, Jake Mayer, Zach Kalaris. Arbuckle's high. Arbuckle's very high. Interesting. Yeah, because yeah, he struggled it, it in Edmonton, surprising. and it started slow. But I will say I was putting together my game chart for uh, Montreal at Ottawa on Friday Night Football. And, man, I, I just I want to talk about Ottawa here for a second. We'll transition to, yeah. to Ottawa and talk about Bob Dice and all the rest. Because um, when I'm putting this together, I understand I've been there for so many Red Blacks games this year. And I've seen the frustration in the stands and the booing. And the, I can't believe we're playing Caleb Evans this long. Put in Arbuckle. Oh, God, we don't like Arbuckle either. Uh, but this offense specifically, this is such an interesting group of, you know, these are standard statistics that the CFL sends out. You can find these anywhere, but they're eighth in the league in points for 20.5 points per game. They are third best despite being eighth in the league in scoring. They are third best in second down conversion percentage. That usually is pretty telling of a team that stays on the field and scores points. Uh, their net offense is fourth in the CFL. So they're not basement. They're not, they're not not moving the ball. They are, they're staying on the field and they're moving the football as the fourth best. They're number one in the CFL in, in plays from scrimmage on the year at 58 plays per game offensively. Again, a lot of that might be garbage time late in the game. Other teams are running, kicking the ball back to them. They're throwing the ball a million times. Sure. There's all things that factor into this two and outs pretty bad. They're seventh. They have 76 of them. So now you've got a conundrum where it's like, well, our second down percentage is good, but we're also one of the three worst teams in the CFL at going two and out. So it's kind of like one or the other. It doesn't seem like like they're in a real like consistent place overall. Time of possession, they're fourth in the CFL. So again, you go to like, well, they're staying on the field, except for when they're not, which when they're not and they're going two and out, it's coming in bunches. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's going on with them. Average rush, they're last in the CFL. 4.4 yards, uh, passing touchdowns. They have eight on the entire season. I think Nick Dembski has eight in the last month. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like the Red Blacks have that for the entire year. I don't think the Red Blacks have had a passing touchdown at home in like two months, like since August something. Oh man. Right. So anyways, I, as I'm putting this together and I see Bob Dice get that victory on the road. And I talked to Darvin Adams yesterday about what it would mean to get a victory at home here down the stretch against either Hamilton or Montreal in their two last home games. So they can go into 2023 without having that hanging over their head. I'm just, I, there are elements in the big picture of the Ottawa offense that say like, Hey, we stay on the field. Hey, time possession's not bad. Hey, net offense. We were up there at the early part of the year. We were moving the rock. We just didn't finish in the score zone. And, it, and then there's other parts where it's like, oh no, a bunch of turnovers and last in passing touchdowns and can't score when we get inside the 30. And and it's like, they're not, they're not your typical clear-cut last place team where you're like, they're trash in every statistical category. They there are <laughs> there are arguing points for why Ottawa has had a productive year, which I think is why Ottawa fans keep coming back. Because they're kind of sitting on the fence where they're like, we can't tell if we actually suck or if we're close to actually figuring something out here. And Arbuckle has obviously played into that in a large way as well. Yeah, as you say that, I wonder if they run the ball too much. Um, and this is just for this year. I I, just, I look at, uh, do you get from first down, do you get second and short or do you get another first down on first down? Right, so second and short plus. Right. 50% of the time when they throw the ball, they get the second and short plus. That's behind only BC. Like they're incredible throwing the ball on first down. Uh, when they run the ball, they are absolutely the worst at getting to second and short plus. And yet they are the third, the third most early down runs in the do Canadian you, Football League. I was going to say, do you Ooh. have like where they stack up in terms of first down run percentage? Like how often they're calling runs on first down in front of you there? Because the reason I ask that is whether it's run or pass, their average gain on first down is 6.3 yards, and that's seventh in the Canadian Football League. So Yeah, which, I, yes, super heavy to their pass, right? So uh, early down run rate, so first to third quarter, but eliminating that three-minute warning in the second quarter, they, uh, they run 44% of the time on first down, which okay. is third highest in the Canadian Football League behind yeah. only Calgary and Winnipeg. Right, so, and and, and yeah. they're not running the ball with the efficiency or the success of Calgary or Winnipeg. So to your point, run yeah. have run heavy on first down, not picking up much, putting yourself in second and long, and then having to dig yourself out of it. Which again, this is the conundrum I'm talking about. They put themselves in second and long, and they either go tune out, or they're the third best team in the CFL at converting <laughs> on second down. Yeah, it's like how are those yeah. the same team? Yeah, it's I uh, teams get caught at. Teams and OCs, I really honestly believe, I just get caught in, get caught in. We need to establish the run as if that's the thing, and I, I, we don't have all the time to go into it. But um, uh, it was the Greg Olson crew on on the Sunday a Sunday game afternoon game. Uh, I forget which game they were calling, but they're like, "This is where the run game matters." Sealing the game away. It was nine minutes left, and the team's just pounding the football. And you go, "Yeah, that's it." Uh, teams. I'm trying to think of a game where a team established the run this past week, and it worked. No, they use it to, the Bombers use it to clean the clock, yeah. right? To, we're going to run the timeout. Hamilton, two, three weeks ago, used West Hills in the run game really well to do that nine-minute drive that sunk the Bombers. And you go, yeah, that's where the run game is a thing. It's not early down, it's not early downs, early part of the game. It's you're leading. Let's let's use up all the clock on this one. But Because throwing, I mean, BC, Ottawa, Winnipeg, that's, I can't believe those are the three best yeah. passing teams on first down. I can't believe Ottawa is there, and yet there's still four wins with this much chance of making the playoffs, right? Oh, man. 
if it were early-ish in the season, like maybe you know week eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there, there were a lot of stats that I was looking at that were saying, you know, the Ottawa offense is uh, you know one of the most explosive. Like I think right now, in terms of thirty-plus yard pass completions, they have twenty-five on the year. That's second in the CFL, and I was like. If, if that were early in the year, I would say, well, that's skewed by Masoli because Masoli was hitting big plays and then they weren't finishing. Yeah. It's, been, it's been a long time since Jeremiah Masoli's been out. So again, Caleb Evans did not play at a high enough level in order to keep his job, but he did hit a bunch of, of 30 plus plays where he was taking shots over the top to Ackland. Since Arbuckle's come in, I don't think of him still as a an accurate deep ball passer, but I mean, hell, he hit Darvin Adams over the middle for one this past week against Montreal on Thanksgiving. It's like, well, that that gets added to the tally. So I think that can be a misleading statistic. But again, to the point of, you know, them being a confusing team to analyze right now, uh, explosive passing offense, when you say Calgary, Winnipeg, Ottawa, it doesn't make any sense. But I think that's why Ottawa fans are so upset is that they see so many flickers of this passing game in this, even without Paul Apolis there. And then they look at their win-loss total and they're like, oh, hell, how did we get here? Yeah, that's that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes, right? Yeah. That's just football. Football is super weird that way. Uh, I wish I had it right with me, but I, I suspect I suspect one score games aren't going in their favor, and that's yeah. a, a stat that has a lot to do with luck. As as fans of the Bombers this season, the Stamps this season know that one score games come down to a lot of luck. So yeah, it's I uh, over I, for better for Ottawa. But make the playoffs in my twenty-five to one is still live. Just saying, just saying. It is crazy though because I thought that these roles would be reversed at the end of the season when we started the year here on on CFP, where I thought Montreal would be in the basement and I thought that Ottawa would be more in the driver's seat, kind of like Montreal is looking for a home playoff date this week. So um, the other thing that jumps out to me, just a, a kind of a fun thing I noticed this past week that I asked Bob Dice about yesterday on our Zoom calls was. Uh, if and this is intriguing for a couple of different reasons, one of which, and I'd love to get this into the broadcast, but obviously it's just an icky, gross situation with Christophe Normand and the reasons that he got released from Montreal, their fullback. They didn't have another ready-made fullback on Montreal's roster in Gagne. So he's still dressing. He's right. still playing on special teams. But if you look at the personnel packages that Montreal was using when Trevor Harris got in last year after the trade from Edmonton, it was a lot of fullback stuff. And it was partially because that's what Trevor likes is the extra man in protection and it simplifies reads on the outside. And, uh, and it's, it's just something that he's, he's become accustomed to anywhere he's gone in the CFL. You can't do that when you have Gagne, who doesn't have, a, at this point, a full grasp and understanding of the playbook. You're not going to put a, a, a transitioned linebacker in as a fullback and have him stand in there and try and pass protect when you could have Herji Mayala or Tyson Philpot or Reggie White or insert name here of, of fourth, fifth receiver on the field. So Montreal has totally changed their approach by instead of using a fullback, they've dabbled in using the two running backs set where one of their big body running backs is, is replacing the fullback reps. They've also dabbled into just going six offensive linemen. Uh, mm-hmm. But then obviously you lose the receiving threat of having that fullback or that running back that can get out of the backfield. In Ottawa this past week, I was going through and I was I was labeling the personnel packages that they were using. And out of nowhere, I'm like, you know, control F on my participation sheet, 89 for Marco Dubois. And usually that doesn't bring up any results. Maybe he gets one snap, two snaps a game. It's like 12, 13 snaps. I'm like, oh, okay, Marco Dubois got some action. Then I 
type in, uh, you know, whatever Gosselin's number is. I forget what it is. 45, yeah. 45, yeah. So I type in 45. Gosselin has like 10 to 15 snaps. I'm like, oh, and they're not even the same snaps as Dubois. Like this wasn't like, hey, we're kneeling it out, end of the game. Let's put both fullbacks in as personal protectors. This was very much, we're going to give these guys a little bit more run on offense. Part of that, when I asked Dice about it, was a necessity because William Powell goes down. They're making up personnel packages on the sideline. They had some injuries at receiver. Ackland goes down. Powell goes down. Dubois, the emergency receiver. So they're just kind of makeshift in something in the, you know, in the sideline. Mm-hmm. But, but I do love the idea that as the special teams coordinator, he's looking at that group and those guys that have been grinding for him for a long time and being like, you know what? You've earned the chance to actually get a little bit of love here and to go ahead and play on offense. Yeah, it's it was every time I what I ended up doing was I was breaking down the run plays. I'm like, there is a lot of 45 and 89 in this real stretch here. I, I didn't see, I haven't gotten to see how much they were in in the past game. But Bomber fans remember week number one of Dubois running past Winston Rose, going, huh, yeah. okay, well, if you, if you have a guy like that that can do both things, right? Ottawa has not been overwhelmingly. Uh, has not been overwhelmed with great receiving performances this season. Ackland, one of the league leaders, Darvin Adams could, but guys have been in and out of the lineup with injuries and whatnot and ineffectiveness. So yeah, I mean anything that you can you can do. Let's just keep the that's six though. That's six alignment. That's we need more. Has a six alignment caught a pass this se- this season? Uh, yeah, they've been split out wide, but there's no Zach Williams in the end zone <laughs> touchdown or anything like that. I don't. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I feel like Saskatchewan at one point might have tried to leak somebody out, but I, I can't remember exactly what or when or how. So, um, anyways, that's something to keep an eye on in this game is that Montreal Ottawa on Friday Night Football. You're going to have Montreal probably not using the fullback because they don't feel comfortable and they're finding ways around it. And you're going to have Ottawa continuing to use the fullback more than they have at really any point this year. So I'm sure with my fullback in the booth, Dwayne Ford, we will get into that and uh, and we will try to. We'll try to paint that in a less long-winded way because television, tiny little windows, tiny little tiny, windows. tiny little windows. Yes, and in uh, in Winnipeg, BC, we're looking forward to the Drew Brown experience. Yeah, what do you as think Zach of Zach won't play? What do you think of him? What do you think of of his game and style and approach? You've seen obviously early in the season he had to come in for that last second, uh, you know, winning drive, which was fantastic. He comes in and throws the touchdown this past week against Edmonton in, in kind of garbage time. Um, Seems like he's got a snappy release. I had talked to Zach earlier this year, and he had said that uh, Drew was like a real fanatical guy when it came to mechanics and preparation, and he does things the right way. Um, there's, <laughs> it's. I don't want to you know put my name on this. I was about to say there's going to be a drop off. The question is how much is the drop off? But I don't know if there's going to be a drop off because I I don't know what this is going to look like necessarily. Well, yeah, drop off is probably fair, right? Zach's the MOP of the league, right. and he's a you know whenever he's healthy, he's the top two player in the CFL. So it's if, uh, even though Drew's what five of seven for 127 yards and two touchdowns this year, <laughs> but um, what what as Bobber fans, it is remember, hey, the injury spotter pulls Zach out of the first week against Ottawa, down one point, trying to drive for the winning score, mm-hmm. and Drew comes in and gets one to Dalton Schoen throws a jump pass to Nick Dembski, like a, a jump pass. Like you feel very comfortable, even though it's only your second play of the game, cold off the bench. If you're throwing a jump pass, you feel pretty good. And he hit that. I think Ellingson for a third one and then game winning field goal. And we went, Oh, well that was, 
it was great for a guy who was just ice cold off the bench and hadn't taken starter reps in training camp. Like it's been in Zach's world and Drew Brown was just living in it. And he comes in and you're like, wow, this is, this is all right. Um, the one time he did get serious reps for the Bombers was last year in the final week of the season when he went seven of 14 for something like 57 yards, mm -hmm. which that's as rough as it sounds when you go, you know, three yards per attempt. Uh, he, Coach O'Shea will say, you know, he's, he's come a long way since then, and we see it every day in practice. We'll, we'll know because Winnipeg, if it's no hit, if it's no, uh, if it's no Zach, it may not be either of the tackles either. Hardrick did a groin, and Stanley Bryant's been dealing with an ankle. Right. There's some more changes. It looks like he'll get all the receivers in the trip to, to BC, but BC's got something to play for, and they're going to come at you full bore whether you have your tier one personnel or not. So, It'll be a real nice test for Drew Brown, but he was pretty unflappable in, in the minimal time we've seen him thus far, which is really encouraging. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I like him. In terms of backup guys that come in and you get little tiny flashes of them, like I'd certainly take him over Dolagala that was out in Saskatchewan earlier this year. I'd, I'd take him over, you know, it's kind of unfair, but like Morton and Newman and Hamilton, I, I would see more in Drew Brown in those. So um, it might be slim pickings, but if you're looking at kind of backup guys that you're getting a, a brief assessment of, he certainly seems like one of the ones that's more interesting. I, I do want to ask you here something that's been on my mind, DT, which is, is there any validity to you? And Calgary will never, I don't think, outwardly admit this, although I do love Dave Dickinson for his honesty in the media sessions because it seems like Don, Danny Austin gets great stuff out of him all the time. Uh, is there anything to Calgary being able to, with the hand of God, determine whether or not Saskatchewan crosses over? Like just pulling the the marionette strings here, and because they're playing Hamilton, and, right. the, and then they're finishing out back to back against Saskatchewan, and I'm like, it's been on my mind where I'm like, if you're, and the reason I bring this up is, when I was in camp with Calgary in 2013 as part of the internship program, uh, we got told, hey, you guys are getting on the bus tomorrow at you know 7 a.m. and we're driving to Lethbridge, uh, because we are gonna go do this like young football camp for fans. And I remember saying to somebody, why the hell are we going? What is Lethbridge? It was like, aside from obviously them having a beautiful turf facility and like lots of kids that were interested. I asked somebody from the organization, why did the stamps like care about going down here? And they're like, this is a turf war. We are strictly here to steal the next generation of rider fans. Like we want to own this city. And I don't want to be, you know, morbid and use football as a comparison to Ukraine, but it's like in terms of trying to own specific locations, like that was a strategic thing that Calgary literally was as an organization was like, we go down here because we want to be able to to make as many people interested as possible. If you're Calgary and you're not completely secure in where you are and you clearly want to have that home playoff date, but if the math works out where you can rest some people, maybe again, and I know the depth charts are out at this point, but you can, eh, Hamilton, whatever. And then, <laughs> and then down the stretch against Saskatchewan, you're like, put the foot down here. All cylinders, baby. Like, <laughs> let's, let's finish the year strong. They can frame it however they want, but I do wonder whether it's even tempting for the Stampeders to be like, if we can end Saskatchewan season and prevent them from even making the playoffs. Oh, uh that's oh calgary fans would, would love that right because that's that's one of sask's two rivals yeah. oh calgary fans would love that um but it feels irresponsible yeah. right to try and be like oh, well, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll we'll wait here and then we'll play hard here we'll rest our guys there and then not here it would 
you'd be scared as a coach to take your foot off the gas at any point. But if Hamilton were to go in there and have success and beat Calgary as Calgary was playing very well, which is unlikely, but if that were to happen, you got to think that like as they exit the media session, Dave Dickinson might walk in the room and be like, eh, might help us long. Like that, that's not a bad thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> They're playing. You're playing the real long game here with the Stampeders, not I'm just 2022. I wonder whether it's 2042. That's, that's <laughs> well, yeah. I I just come to believe that that coaches. Uh, some people have suggested to, on the coaches show. Hey, should Winnipeg really bring its starters because BC's in a playoff chase? Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm, I don't care what uh, the team I'm facing is going through or dealing with or what you think is fair. This whole thing, and th- this whole thing is about winning the Grey Cup. Is how I approach it. It's not about we were four and one to start the season, so we're really good. Ah, your team looks like it's not set, not able to win the Grey Cup. Like that's the thing. It does uh, nothing else. Kind of. Not that nothing else matters, but nothing else matters along yeah. the way. There are other elements that obviously do matter, but if you're not winning the Grey Cup, if you're not putting your team in the best position to win the Grey Cup, you're doing it. You're doing it wrong. I I do like this the spike thought though. That is that is very good. Of. Let's just <laughs> That's let's just, just take our rival and just just make it the worst for them. They have to watch. Like if you're the Calgary Stampeders or Bombers, and you go, man, Saskatchewan's going to have to watch. Six other teams compete for the Grey Cup in their home stadium. Yeah. Tell me, tell me, there's not some shred of satisfaction in both of those clubs about the prospect of that potentially happening. Come on. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Somewhere that, there's fight in there. Somewhere spike. And I don't think that they will activate it and turn it into decision making that will guide them. But I, I do think yeah. that there's there's a lot of that that is uh, is kind of barrowed in. I uh, I wanted to ask you as well. I know that I tweeted this at you last night when you were doing the coaches show. But um, do you know why? Winnipeg hands off jet sweeps is, and this is like a X's and O's kind of thing, but I just wanted to sneak this in before we start to wrap up because yeah, uh, it's every team when you're watched. So what we're talking about here for people that know football, I don't have to explain this, but for the, uh, the listeners that might not be familiar, the jet sweep is the play that you see all over the Canadian football league, which I think Dave Naylor defined it as like the year of the shovel pass. I was like, no, it's a jet sweep. Uh, and it's been done since the eighties. Uh, but the the idea of like doing the pop pass is something that Clemson was doing, West Virginia was doing back in the early 2010s. And that was where everybody in football realized two things. And this was kind of how I was taught it, which is, you know, my understanding. And it's imprinted me to ask this question. Everybody used to catch it, stick it into the, the belly of the receiver running horizontal for you guys in Winnipeg. That's Nick Dembski for Saskatchewan. It's Keen Schaefer Baker, Tyson Philpott's getting some of it in Montreal. Uh, trying to think who else across the league. Tim White's been getting those uh, in Hamilton. Like everybody kind of has like Gittins Mittens is getting some in Toronto now. Yeah, yeah, and they're like that's. Although they did try to open up, I think the fourth quarter Toronto BC last week with like a jet counter where they tried to make it look like jet and then kick out the end and get Gittins to go north south inside. And yeah. God, it did not work, and I felt so bad for him. I was like, that is such a strange play call with that player because all you have to do is miss one block and he's getting blown up in between the tackles. I'm like, don't do that to my guy. He's leading the team in receiving. <laughs> like, but it's when you're crossing face and running in, in Winnipeg still does it quote unquote, the old school way of yeah. catch the snap, hand it off. The reason that I had learned it as like a pop pass, two things, quicker transition, you can get your guy in full speed. You don't have to wait for him to get to you to literally hand it off. You can just like drop it to him. The other thing is that in the age of passing yardage explosion, uh, it counts as passing yards and it counts mm. as a completion. 
And so it will skew. It's to the point where on my accuracy charting of each game, when I see a jet, I don't label it as accuracy, not accuracy. I just label it as jet. So I'm like, this doesn't mean a thing. Like he's dropping it off to a guy from a foot away. That's not accurate or inaccurate. That's just, he's giving it to him. Um, but Winnipeg is the only team in the CFL that I see that consistently hands that thing off. And because I understand a little bit about the culture there for the Bombers, I wonder whether or not it's just pride in the running game statistics and the fact that Klaus is so selfless, or if it's a preference that they just X's and O's, they prefer it. Yeah. Uh, the, the other part is, uh, and why I think it should always be a pop pass, is if, it, if the guy drops it, it's incomplete yes. and not a fumble. Yes. Right? That's, to me, the biggest part, and I don't know why. I was just going through it. Uh, they've got 35 slot back runs, and they've got eight pop passes. And they're not always the jet sweep one. They would do the thing where... They do like the roll to the field and then drop it underneath. Yeah. Yeah. And it's essentially, it's like an inside zone run for Dembski, but it's with a little shovel. Right? So I just call it a pop. So, yeah, they are way more in the, in the handoff as opposed to the pop. Yeah, I, I would be curious if you can dig that up and maybe we can bring that back for people here on the breakdown next week to find out why they attack it that way. And also, I'll say this, um, that play that we're talking about where quarterback takes the snap, you know, left hash, rolls to the right-hand side and then flips it underneath. Winnipeg does a great job of, of doing that with the fake inside and then running the comeback and the corner out over the top typically. But Will Arndt, in his first game to bring this full circle, as a play yeah. caller for the Ottawa Red Blacks, calling what was primarily ex-Winnipeg stuff with Paul Appley's system in place in Ottawa. He ran that play, and it went terribly. But I thought this was interesting, because this was kind of like the young guy getting his first chance as a play caller, and you know <laughs> when the parents aren't around, you know the kids will play around with whatever the system is. So Lapo's gone. They've given Arnt the play calling responsibilities. He ran that fake little pitch inside as the quarterback is rolling to the right-hand side, there's routes on the front side. And then Arndt was like, let's do a throwback screen. And he turned and threw it backwards to the guy that he had faked a little inside handoff to. And I was like, oh, that's a variation of that that I don't know if I had seen from Lapo in Winnipeg or Lapo in Ottawa. I'm like, that was, I think that was Arndt trying to add his own little imagination to a, a core play that they have in that system. It went terribly. And I, but I just looked at it and I thought like, eh, at least he was trying. He was doing something different, right? Yeah, give it a shot. It's your it's your world now, man. You get a chance to show you may deserve a job for whoever the next head coach is. If maybe Bob Dice wants to keep you around if he takes the head job. Uh, yeah, he. It was super fun talking to him yesterday. I'll just say that. Like, Good dude. Yeah, it was super. And uh, when I was prepping again for the game, three and zero against the Montreal Alouettes in his head coaching uh, tenures in the times they so Bob Dice Are you serious? as a head coach Amazing. is undefeated against the Montreal Alouettes who they play on Friday Night Football. So he can finish the year with not only breaking Ottawa's home losing streak, he can maintain his undefeated streak as a head coach against the Montreal Alouettes. That's awesome. <laughs> Which should That's be a lot so of fun. Good. But uh, DT is in action again on CJOB coming up for you this weekend. Uh, what game? I'm trying to think you got... Saturday uh, at BC. Saturday at BC. Yeah, it's Friday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday this week. So uh, BC plays safe travels. Enjoy Vancouver. Uh, go for a walk on the seawall. Anything planned? Uh, uh, honestly, holding up my room and vegetating because it's been a long <laughs> month. And uh, yeah, some catch-up work and vegetation will be the uh, will be the answer. There you go. DT's got that call. I've got uh, the game on Friday evening between Bob Dice and those Ottawa Red Blacks against the Montreal Alouettes. And then uh, we will be back for you right here on Canadian Football Perspective coming up next week for another edition of The Breakdown.